Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to you every week from my studio in Dallas, Texas. Today's podcast is a rebroadcast of the speech, the You Need More Money speech that I did at my buddy Anthony Del Medico's Win the Storm conference in Vegas uh, about a month ago. Um, it was the first full-blown speech in front of 2,000 people that I did on You Need More Money, the book. Um, and there was a great slide uh, presentation that went along with it. Next time you see me speak or we get together, I'll probably be speaking on this. will be the primary topic that I speak on for 2018. So this is the speech. It was a big success. I was fortunate enough and grateful enough at a line of people waiting to talk more about You Need More Money when I got off the stage. But here's the speech, the first big audience speech that I did in 2018 on You Need More Money, the book. Enjoy it. When I told my buddy that I was speaking this morning, uh, third day of a conference in Vegas, he said, man, you got a bad draw. And I said, well, that's one way to look at it, my friend. But if you're here at this time slot on a third day of a conference in Vegas, give yourself a hand because you want something. So come on, come on. You're here for a reason and I'm gonna give it to you. For the next 30 to 40 minutes, I'm gonna drop all the knowledge I can on something that nobody wants to talk about, which is why you need more money, I need more money, and we need more money. I challenge us to remember that as we go through this quick presentation, and I want to start with a story, because this book is an incredibly personal story for me. And it really began on Easter Sunday a few years ago. My brother-in-law, John, and his wife and his four children had moved to Dallas, Texas, where we live. And it was a fantastic opportunity for our families because my family of five, his family of six, got to spend a lot more time together. But even more importantly than that, my mother-in-law, Gigi, and my beloved wife, Rocky, got to dote on John. John walked on water for them. And... When we saw each other that Easter Sunday, everybody got up to give each other hugs. The kids went outside to play football in the park, and I got to John at the door, and he looked different. I said, wow, John, looks like you've lost some weight. And he said, yeah, I probably lost about five pounds. And in my mind, I said, boy, it seems like a lot more than five pounds, like 20 pounds. When Gigi busted out all the food for us, John and I used to just take it down. I mean, just eat. He just picked at his plate that day. After dinner, we sat down on the couch to watch the game. Instantly, John was asleep. And a few minutes later, he woke up in a panic. He grabbed my arm, looked at me with a look that I'll never forget, and said, I haven't felt like a shit in months. I'm going to the doctor in the morning to get it checked out. That should have been that. My brother-in-law, John, beloved by his family, considered unstoppable by my wife and my mother-in-law, should have gone to the doctor. He should have gotten a shot and back to work on Tuesday. But the doctor he saw that day immediately sent him to the emergency room. And my brother-in-law, John, at 46 years old, was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And the lives that we had worked so hard to build and protect would never be the same. 
You see, after that experience, folks, this is a controversial comment for some people, but not for me, you will never convince me that money isn't important and that money doesn't matter, period, ever. It is totally impossible, I don't care what you say to me about balance and happiness and what about this and what about that, I know firsthand what the power of having money does and I know the guilt of what not having money means. Nobody taught me the game of money. I had to learn it myself. I had no mentors, I had no coaches. I started, as John said, in a dumpy one-bedroom apartment with a phone and a folding table and a yellow pages. And I built a very successful business that I'm very proud of. I didn't do it alone, my team did it. I've got some people that have been there 17 years, 15 years, 12 years, eight years. I didn't do it alone. But along the process, I learned one thing. I learned that money is a win or lose game, period. There is no gray area. We want there to be a gray area with money, but the reality is there isn't. And whether you determine whether you won or lost at age 26 or 36 or 46 or 86, you will have to come to grips with the fact of did you win or did you lose? So what does a win mean? A win means you get to live your lifestyle by design. Everything you told your wife or your significant other that you would have, the Tuscany summers, the RV around the country, the ability to see the grandkids anytime we wanted, the house at the beach or maybe the house in the mountains, you will either get that or you won't. The most important thing that we can remember, folks, is this. The money is moved. We're chasing these old numbers. Let me show you some data of what I'm talking about. In 2000 versus 2016, the average home price was $161,000 in 2000. In 2016, it's $242,000. In 2000, the average rent was six thirty-five. In 2016, it's eight ninety. A new car in 2000 was 20300 and in 2016, it's 31500 We don't need to argue that the money has moved. Things have become more expensive. The question is, have you moved with it? So I'm going to ask a question to the audience. When I graduated college in 1991, to be in the top 1% of earners in America, you needed to make $100,000. Can anyone in the audience tell me what that number is today? To be in the top 1% of earners, how much money do you need to make today? Say again. 450, anybody else? 400, keep going. 350, keep going. I didn't hear anybody hit it on the nose, but the number is $384,000. So if you feel that you were close enough to that, come up afterwards and get your copy of the book, okay? The number is $384,000, but listen, isn't $100,000 still a good number? Don't we know a lot of people that think $100,000 is something that should be celebrated or achieved? You see, it, the money's moved, folks. Have we moved with it? That's the question. The biggest detriment to your financial security moving forward is your mindset towards it. And the mindset that I'm referring to is what I call hashtag false positive. If you do social media uh, 
hashtag false positive on Twitter. Push this one out. Because it's unbelievably detrimental. I define false positive in the book as when you think you are doing better than you actually are. I'll give you a personal example. I can remember a number of years ago when we would double date with another family. And my wife loved this, the, 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 the other uh, couple's wife, and I was okay with the guy. He was all right. But they always wanted to go to this place called Bob's Chop House. And Bob's Chop House in Dallas, Texas, fancy steakhouse. And I'll never forget sitting in my closet getting dressed and just in a panic about having to go back to Bob's Chop House with this other couple. I didn't have the money to go to Bob's Chop House. And here we are going to Bob's Chop House again. So tell me if you've ever done this, but I literally pulled out my credit card and I called the number on the back just to see how much money I had left. Anybody do that? I had 500 bucks left and off to Bob's we went, right? We walk in the front door, the other couple's there, everybody gives hugs, the major D takes us to the table and within an instant I got a table full of wine and appetizers and I'm just cringing, right? Next thing I know, there's T-bones. And then the wives say, hey, let's just get dessert for the table. Hey, waiter, bring lots of forks. We'll all share, right? I excuse myself from the table. I go to the restroom, and what do I do? Come on, y'all. I pulled out the credit card, and I called the number on the back again just to see if I really had the 500 bucks, right? Who's done that? Anybody? And then in the moment of tremendous false positive, you know what I did? On my way back to the table, I found the waiter. And I said, hey, waiter, put it on this. And I sit at the table, and the waiter comes back, and he says, Mr. Monero picked up the tab. That's false positive, y'all. That's false positive. I'm going to give you the details that nobody gave me. This is the way I see money. Let me be clear, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a financial planner, I'm a guy who started from nothing and built something meaningful. This is my interpretation of what the money situation looks like. Life begins at 150,000 a year, life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. The publisher of my book, which is Penguin, a top four publisher in New York, made me take this out of the book. They said this, these numbers are so far-fetched compared to what the American public believes they can achieve, that it will discount the credibility of the book. I'm going to leave that up to you guys. You see, I know that's not true. That information that was delivered to me from the publisher is incorrect. This is how it plays out, y'all. Life begins at 150, life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. Because here's what happens. When you get to 150, you actually begin to say like, man, I got a little breathing room. I mean, let's be straight. There's no breathing room at 50 grand. There's no breathing room at 75 grand. There's no breathing room at 100 in a lot of places. At 150, you start to say, man, I got a little breathing room. At 250, something amazing happens. You actually begin to build confidence. And you begin to say to yourself, man, I, I, can, I, got, I can make moves now. I got a little extra. And at 500 you start to say, I see a million pretty damn quick. And when you see a million, I promise you, you can see two million. 
After John was diagnosed with cancer, I went to the hospital to see him. I'm a business guy, dude. I'm a, I'm a, a data-driven guy. I'm a nuts and bolts. I'm a chop wood. I'm a blocking and tackling kind of guy. I go up to the hospital to build the game plan, the war chest, to get John better. And I said, John, let's tackle this thing. Let's kick this cancer. I said, who is your health insurance provider? And John looked at me straight in the eye and said, we don't have health insurance. I said, John, if something doesn't go right here and you don't get better, let's talk about life insurance. John said, we don't have any life insurance either. And I said, John, we got to talk about cash. Because there ain't no zero down financing for cancer treatment when you have no health insurance. How much cash you got? He said, Lori and I have a hundred bucks in the bank. No health insurance, no life insurance, and a hundred bucks in the bank. He worked 25 years and he had that little to show for it. If you guys take one thing from me today, please get life insurance. I'm not a life insurance sales guy. I have no affiliation with anyone. There's no name of who I recommend. I recommend Google, term life insurance, whatever city you live in, and buy as much of it as you possibly can. Because let me tell you how it plays out. If my brother-in-law had spent 50 bucks a month on a term life insurance policy, he probably would have left his wife and children 250 grand. So when you've got 50 grand in income, and you're like, man, this guy Monero's telling me bogus stuff. I can't make, I can't make money moves. How could I possibly have enough to take care of my family? If you have $50 a month, you can hedge your brokenness with term life insurance policy. 50 bucks gets you 250. If my brother-in-law had died with a term life insurance policy that cost him $50 a month, he could have left his family 250. And listen to me, that would have changed everything. Money solves problems. Money helps people. I told John that day, I'll help you any way that I can. And he looked at me and said, just do one thing for me. He said, don't let my family go homeless. My wife and I took care of all of John's bills for that period of time in an effort to get him better. Those checks that I was so fortunate to write were so more meaningful for me than they were even for him. I told him, don't worry about it, John. There's no chance that we would ever let your family go homeless, and that's how it played out. I want to start to move into some concepts here. I'm going to throw some serious stuff at you here for the next 15 minutes. Concepts right out of the book on how you can make more money, so let's get into it. I believe there are three types of mindsets when it comes to money. The first is called the blamers. Guys, we want to stay away from the blamers. They are poisonous to us. The blamers are the ones that say, oh, it's such and such in the White House. Or they're the ones at the games who bitch and moan to the refs, right? I coach my little kids' uh, sports, and I say to them, if I ever see you guys do this to the refs, I'm going to immediately pull your ass off the field. Because the refs never change the call. The blamers never get what they want. The game doesn't change for the blamers. If you let blaming creep into your mind, I'm begging you, get it out. If you surround yourself with people who are blamers, I'm telling you, run. The next mindset are what I call the dreamers. 
the dreamers are the people that are actually really fun to hang out with. They're the ones that bring the scratch-offs to the holiday party, right? And they put it in the stocking. And they're like, hey, if you win, we're all going to split it, right? The dreamer says things like, the dreamer says, one day when I win the lottery, the dreamer says, if I only bought that corner lot 20 years ago, could you imagine what that would be worth? See, I love the dreamers. I love hanging out with dreamers. But they miss one thing. The ability to pull the trigger and make the moves and actually write the check. And I prefer to choose to be with game facers. Game facers are the ones that know how to win. They are not afraid of challenges. They embrace the challenges. They blame no one. They love to dream or visualize, but they have the guts to pull the trigger. You see, I'm not a beans and rice and rice and beans guy. I'm not a drive your minivan till it blows up to make your money guy. I'm not a watch your cable bill and take it from 115 to 75 bucks. I want to earn my rich. You won't save your rich. You will earn your rich, guys. It's so important for us to understand this. We have to earn more money. And I'm going to show you the steps to do it right now. So, nine steps. If you're taking notes, let's take these down. If you're on social, snap pictures of these and push them out. Here are the nine steps to change your money situation. Number one, what are your core values? Do you really know what you stand for? Listen, I have financed so many roofers and so many construction companies and so many um, storm remediation companies over my years. I finance all those fleet vehicles. It's a little bit of a dirty business, y'all. You're the one who has to make that determination. What are your core values? Are you willing to bend the rules? If so, how far? Are you willing to screw somebody over? If so, how many times? Listen, I have left millions and millions and millions of dollars on the table because I won't do side deals and I won't bend the rules. It's cost me millions of deals. But I know one thing for sure. If I'm never on the take, nobody can ever hold it against me. Number two, we gotta pick our number. How much money do you wanna make? I mean, really, do you know how much money you want to make? Is it 50? Is it 75? Is it 500? Is it 2 million? What is the number that you want to make this year? We have to pick it, both in personal income and in our businesses. And most people are just floating around. Look, even with my employees in my office, you know what they do? They come in and say, I want to raise. Well, how much of a raise? I don't know. What do you think is fair? I don't know. What do you think is fair? People don't know what they're going after. They don't know their number. You've got to pick your number. Number three, perhaps one of the most important so far. You've got to test your platform, y'all. Are you in the right business? How do you know that the business you're in can actually throw off enough cash for you to be able to hit the number that you picked based on the core values that you have? Look, if you want to drive a Lambo, but you make sandwiches at Subway, you're in the wrong platform, right? Now, unless you want to uh, own 20 Subways, I'm down with that, right? And we got to figure out that game plan. The way you determine if you're in the right platform is ask yourself this question, who within the industry that I can get my hands on is earning the money that I want to earn? And then go know them and then follow their lead and do what they do. 
If you can't answer that question, you might have to leave your platform. I'm not telling you necessarily to leave the industry, but if you have aspirations that out, outpace your industry or the company that you're with, you may have to bolt. Number four, experts get paid, amateurs get crushed. You guys want to be experts. That's why you're here on Saturday morning. There's no question about it. And experts will earn more money than amateurs. How many people do we know in the sales side of our industry who are one-year salespeople with a 20-year career? In other words, they learned it all in the first year, and then they just sat their ass in a seat for the next 19. Right? How terrible is that, right? We want to be... <laughs> it's you. We want to be experts because experts get paid and the amateurs get crushed. Number five, this is hard for most people, we have to solve bigger problems. And the problems that we have to solve are the problems that our customers don't know we have. That's the problem we need to be solving. I'll give you an example. In my industry, we finance all types of trucks and equipment, and we hate trucks that are built with a max force engine. The internationals were built with a max force engines. They're disastrous, right? And very often we'll get a phone call from a customer that says, yeah, I want to buy this new international. And we'll say, what engine is it? And he'll say, he or she will say, it's a max force. And we'll say, oh man, you don't want to do that. He's, no, 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 I want it. It's six grand less, right? I want to do that max force. No, 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 listen, that's why it's six grand less, right? Nobody wants the max force. They're terrible. I'm solving the problem that the customer didn't already know they had. That's how you become an expert in the space. Number six, bring more value than you receive. So in my office, I really only have two rules for my staff. The first rule is don't wait for me. If you're sitting around waiting for me to tell you what to do, we got a problem. The second, value is, the second uh, requirement is always bring me value. It's pretty simple, right? Hey, are you waiting for me? Yeah. What the hell are you waiting for me for? Go figure out how to bring me value. A weird one. And this one gets me in trouble when I speak. Because employers hate this. And I don't give a shit. I'm an employer. It doesn't matter to me. Because most employers have forgotten that the employer-employee relationship has completely changed. It will never be the same again, you all. The idea that your employees are going to stay with you for life is zero. And if you're trying to instill that in your company culture, you should stop. It's totally impossible. I personally like the way Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn now, does it. LinkedIn only issues a six-month or 12-month employment contract for their employees. And so it goes a little something like this. They agree to work their asses off for each other for six months, at the end of six months, they sit down and say, hey, was that a pretty good experience? Yeah, it was. You want to do it another six months? Yeah, let's do it another six months. See, that works for me. Because I understand that everyone is their own personal ATM machine. The company is not the personal ATM machine. The individual within the company is the personal ATM machine. And when we begin to realize and look at ourselves like that, we begin to make more money. Because when we get to be an expert, and we always bring more value, and we've picked our number, and we have the ability to go into our boss and say, I'm extremely valuable, and I don't want to hear a 3 or a 5% pay raise. 
I'm talking more like 25 or 50% pay raise because here's the value I've brought and here's the ROI attached to it. Dude, now we're talking. Now we can move the needle of net worth. The next two are the most important slides in the entire presentation. You have to create a reserve account to make more money. Now listen to me. When I say that, most people are like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. It's called a savings account. It's not called a savings account, at least not the way I did it. It's called a reserve account. And the reserve account is every dollar after your operating account. So let me give clarity on this. The operating account is what your check goes into that pays all of your budgeted bills. And when I'm talking budgeted bills, I'm talking important shit here. I'm talking about Valentine's Day and date night and the birthdays and vacation. All of that has to be structured in the budget. And every nickel above that budgeted number has to be moved into your reserve account. And that reserve account must be in a bank other than your operating account. Because everybody wants to say, well, look at how easy it is for me to transfer from my savings account back into my operating account because I can do it right off my phone. And that's how you don't get rich. You get rich by forcing money into a separate account. So personal example for me is my reserve account is in a bank that has only two branches. They are closed on Saturdays and they close at five o'clock Monday through Friday. They're open from nine to five Monday through Friday. My point being, it's a pain in the ass for me to get my money out of it. And that's what you want. Because you need that reserve account to be able to make moves. I'm going to tell you something that no one's ever going to tell you this. This doesn't exist in a book and I don't know who's going to tell you this. But in my book, I tell you this. When you start to move up the food chain and you start to increase your relationships and your network and you begin to meet more successful people, the deals will start to come across your desk. How many people get deals across their desk? Buyouts of other companies, private equity deals, hedge fund deals, angel investment deals, any of that? Yeah, I know the freaking feeling. And for about 15 years, I was like, how come I don't get any of those deals? How come those deals don't come across my desk? And the answer was because I didn't know anybody that was in those deals. I had this little itty shitty network. I didn't know anybody that was in that game. And I made a conscious effort to move up the food chain and meet more successful people. I talk about the storyline of how I did it in the book. But once I got there and those deals started to come across my desk, you know how much it costs to get into those deals? Take a guess, anybody? What do you think the starting point to buy into a private equity deal or a hedge fund or a commercial apartment deal? What do you think? Quarter million, I heard. The number's 100 grand, y'all. You need 100 grand to be able to get in on those deals, and here's why. They don't want to jack with your ass if it's less than 100. They don't want to carve the pie up for less than 100. They don't want 10 people that put in 10,000 to equal 100. They want one that puts in 100. It's nine personalities they don't have to jack with. So in that reserve account, you have to put away $100,000 minimum to be able to really start to make moves, which is the ability to leverage your network and get into these private deals. These private deals that do pay 15, 18, 20, 200% sometimes. 
I've got a deal that's working right now where I might make six times my investment on it in a year. That only came because I wanted to know people. No one traded that deal for me. No one brought me that deal. I earned that deal. I didn't come from anything that put me in a position to do that, except I made a conscious effort to focus on fixing my fucking money situation. And when I did, everything began to change. And I outline all of this in the book. Here's how it has to finish. Remember, I started with the concept that sooner or later you will have to see where you finish. You'll have to come to grips with it, and here's how you do it. The litmus test. I came up with this formula. I think it works perfectly. And I've tested it hundreds and hundreds of times with very wealthy people that I said, what do you think about this formula? And they said, yeah, I think it works. Here it is. In your 20s, you need to have a net worth, net worth, asset, minus liabilities of one times your earnings. If you're in your 20s and you make 50 grand, you need to have a net worth, assets minus liabilities equals net worth, of 50,000. In your 30s, you need to have a net worth of three times your income. If you make $100,000, you need to have a $300,000 net worth in your 30s. In your 40s, you need to have a 5x net worth. And in your 50s, you need to have a 10x net worth. So let's just say I'm 50 and I make $200,000. I need to have a net worth of $2 million. If $2 million seems like a pipe dream for you, it's okay because it sure as hell did for me until I began to focus on it, follow a roadmap, and do the steps that we've just outlined here. The doctors at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas, which is where you go when you don't have insurance, concocted a magical chemo cocktail for my brother-in-law, John. They said if the cocktail works, he's got six months. If the cocktail doesn't work, there's no guarantees. And the cocktail didn't work. And my brother-in-law, John, died one week after the one-year anniversary of his diagnosis. You know, my wife, my little five-foot-two redhead spitfire wife, her name is Rocky, by the way, she says that she sees her brother John in her dreams and that he's always a bird-like figure. And I promise you, with 100,000% truth, birds fly into my house now. There's no window open. There's no door open. And at least three or four times, there's been a bird that flies right in and sits on this piece of furniture that we have. My wife, Rocky, swears that it's John. And she'll just let the bird stay there because she feels John through the bird. And then she'll open the door and the bird will fly away. I have flown hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles. And I have never once seen a bird in an airport. 
and on two occasions with my Rocky by my side, there is shit. A bird flew and perched itself right next to the little rocker. She knows that's her brother, John. Now, my wife and I have been together 21 years. We have three beautiful sons. And I know my wife loves me. But I can tell you for sure that my wife loved her brother, John, more. They just had that relationship. And so we have this responsibility to get our money right. Because in the end, we get one shot at it. We get one shot to do what I call lifestyle by design. It's our ability to build the life that we were put on this earth to do in the way that we want to do it. If you want to drive a truck for six months and surf in Costa Rica for six months, I'm down. I love it. If you want to work 80 hours a week and build a multi-million dollar company, I'm down with that too. If you want to just float in the middle someplace without a lot of pressure and sort of have an okay career, I'm down with that too. Here's what I'm not down with. That it's being done to you by somebody else. You have to take control over your situation so you can lead your lifestyle by design. Now here's really what I want. I want you to buy my book. I want my book to be a New York Times bestseller. And I want to get an email from somebody down the road that tells me, I read your book, I went out and I bought term life insurance. And my spouse died. And they left us 250000 And if I hadn't read your book, I wouldn't have pushed myself to go get the insurance that protected us from the thing that we didn't expect to have happen. I also want you to kick the shit out of my success. I mean it. I want you to beat me at this game called money. I want you to just kick me in the teeth. I want you to win. And then I want you to tell me about it. I want you to follow me on social at at Matt Monero, listen to my podcast, send me an email, Tweet me, post on Instagram, hit me up on LinkedIn, go to Snapchat, hit me on Facebook, it don't matter. I want to hear your success. But hear me out. I'm a pretty competitive guy. And if I feel you clicking at my heels, I'm going to run much faster. I appreciate everybody. Have a great trip back. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.